Kaylin Ellsbury. Wow, what, a, what an inspiring young woman. Um, born with cystic fibrosis. She publicly speaks now. She's a specialist in, uh, in sales, in public speaking. She's been hospitalized over 70 times in her, in her young life. Medical professionals told her not to do what she's doing now. Um, she's been told for a long time not to do it, but she does it. She does it extremely well. She's an author. She's written two books. She is uh, endlessly fascinating. We talk about sales. We talk about natural language. We talk about hypnosis. We talk about board of directors. How does Napoleon Hill, John Lennon, and Winston Churchill get involved in the discussion with her and I? How? How is that possible? Listen and find out. She's exciting to talk to, inspirational. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope... Uh, one day I get to, to see her uh, talk face to face. She's just she's just great. I, I really really enjoy this conversation. I know you will as well. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me how did I lose 130 pounds. The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business. wasn't paying attention to my health. Was eating too much. You know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. And for doing this, Kaylin. I, I really, really appreciate it. How are we, how are we, you and I, and anybody listening, going to help those who have some medical afflictions, some medical condition, uh, thrive. How, how are we going to do this? You, you've been told so many times not to do stuff and you didn't listen and you, you turned it around and, and you're inspiring. You're absolutely inspiring, Kaylin. How are we going to help people with this? I mean, jumping right into it. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. If I waited my entire life to be healthy, to have goals and ambition and vision, mm -hmm. I would have absolutely nothing. So I would almost say, as we jump straight into it, right out of the gates, when you say that you have to be healthy to achieve something, you're already setting yourself up for success. So if you're sitting there right now listening and you know the doctor gave you the report or somebody gave you the diagnosis, and I remember I filed for social security disability because I thought my time was up. And you know how hard it is to get off the system? Like the system incentivizes you to stay on it, not to really? have a dream. 
And it, it starts with the way that it's built. And it starts with you having the inner strength to say enough's enough. I don't have to wait to be healthy. I don't have to wait for that person. I don't have to wait for whatever that thing you're waiting for is. You don't have to actually wait. Hmm. And when you say healthy, oops. we're talking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said, "Oops, <laughs> I didn't mean to." What? <laughs> That's funny. No, I, I, I missed it. But uh, when you say healthy, you mean physically, because uh, I mean certainly people aren't aren't completely healthy all the time. No. And you don't have yeah. to be to have a dream or a goal. Like it's a mind bend and it really is. And like, I mean, I don't know what all you've researched probably a lot based on uh, how I joined and I heard my video playing, uh, but 70 hospitalizations. Can you imagine if I'm just sitting there like, you know what, maybe I'll have a goal. Maybe I'll have a dream. Maybe I'll do what the thing is that in my heart of hearts is what I want out of my life. But I'm going to have to wait till I have good lung function. Like I never would have done anything. So how about I just go after what's in my heart while I'm sick? And then if I'm ever blessed to be healthy, it's just all icing on the cake. Like, <laughs> right? Oh, what a great attitude. What a great attitude. And so you have cystic fibrosis. Just talk to us a little bit about what it is and, and how it affects. You've been hospitalized, like you said, over 70 times. I know it's an issue with your you have to cough it out. It's it's horrible. Yeah. So for those who may not be familiar, um, cystic fibrosis is a life-threatening genetic disease, meaning I was born with it. So my mom and my dad both had a copy, and I was the 25 percentile that said, hey, you get this. Mm. Uh, usually it's diagnosed um, through some stomach complications because we don't digest any food. Um, the mucosal membranes, I don't know if you hear a lovely ambulance, but that's what you get living in a sky rise. Um, but really, the mucosal membranes are super thick, which means they're prone to infection. And you can't get rid of the infections unless you're coughing out that mucus. Um, so a lot of times, it slowly suffocates the patient. Um, it can cause heart issues. The pancreas is insufficient, so you can't digest food. You can't process things. Um, it affects all the organs in the body. And again, you were born with this and I just can't help but think how today one of the biggest issues we have in our country is, you know, is obesity and overweight and, you know, people are kind of, you know, do this to themselves and they put themselves there. You didn't have that choice. You didn't have that choice there at all. I'm certainly not comparing the two, but you refuse to to succumb to this and the stories that you tell about how doctors told you not to publicly speak because you're going to be in airports and don't, don't do this because you're going to, you know, it's going to hinder you. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. Kaylin, I just, I, I don't understand where they come from with that. I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, I think where a lot of people come from with that is we have to remember that the people who have, a strong vision for their future. Um, they're not the people that maybe doctors are used to talking to. Um, many people, sadly, they don't want to try for something. And if I'm a doctor, I've seen hundreds of patients over the course of my career, maybe even thousands, 
and 90% don't take the advice I give. And the system itself, as a doctor, you're like, why would I recommend people try for something more? Like, I can't even get people to stop eating Krispy Kreme, right? Like, how dare this lady have a dream of speaking across the country and being in the airport? It's just going to make her sicker. Um, and so over time, I think the doctors aren't even incentivized to want to encourage optimal health and the pursuit of who you want to be because they're used to, you know, like you brought up obesity, um, we all know instinctually how to lose weight, right? And sure, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there's plateaus. I'm not saying it's not. But the patient owning their experience, I think doctors just eventually hit a point in their career where they give up trying to inspire hope and change because they've seen thousands of times very few patients actually stick to their word and their their dreams. I don't know. Wow, what a fascinating point. You mentioned two, you know, kind of uh, governmental healthcare issue problems that we have. One is uh, social security and next is the healthcare system. Yeah. Uh, you know, you said it, uh, social security doesn't incentivize you to leave and healthcare just, of course, we're, we're making broad strokes here, Kaylin, but, uh, you know, there's certainly some great doctors, but, you know, oftentimes you just see so many, they just kind of medicate, move on, and they're, they're afraid they're going to uh, just not take care of basic needs. You know, I, I found myself when, I, after I started my business, I wasn't paying attention to myself and I grew to 340 pounds. So, I mean, you know, you have somebody who has complete healthy system and then I abused my own body and then it was, certainly I turned it around, but, uh, you know, you didn't do that. I mean, did you, you, did, did any of those professionals, did you use any of that for inspiration? I mean, no. <laughs> um, you know, what's interesting. There was this concept when I wrote my first book, there was this concept that one of the people I was talking to in the interviews, I forget who it was, uh, but they said, have a board of directors for your life and they can be living or dead. And this is the person similar to how you run your meetings, right? And print out photos if you need to, but use your imagination. That's why God gave you a mind and interview them and ask them for their wisdom. And that became the people I listened to. And that wasn't always the doctors. That wasn't always the attorney who told me not to get off the system. That wasn't always family. That wasn't always friends. Um, so that board of directors was a pivotal point for me to say, enough's enough. The people I'm listening to don't have the answers. And I got to trust myself. And those people, you don't even have to, like, they don't even have to be living. That's the thing about, like, the board for your life is, you just have to trust your gut on what you know to be the best case and take it absolutely taken doctor and medical professionals advice, taken attorney's advice, take into consideration the advice of loving and caring people trying to help you on your path, but it can't be the end all be all for how you run your life. Hmm. Now, how do you have a board of directors that's, that's passed away? Like how, how does that work? Explain. I'm glad you asked. Uh, so for me, mine was, believe it or not, one of them was Napoleon Hill. And I've read a book, huh. right? Think and Grow Rich. We've all read that book. Yeah. And, you know, write the times when I'd have my quarterly meeting. <laughs> and sometimes it's just me and my laptop. And maybe I've got a friend on the call. I have a, a good friend who has cystic fibrosis. So he's usually on the call. 
Um, and then of course my mom and dad are, and it just goes, Hey, this is what's not working in my life. What do I do? And then you, it sounds crazy. I'm not saying it's not, I, I teach these principles in my mindful leadership course. Um, but you say, Hey, Napoleon, what would you do if you were me? And, you know, if you've read his book or you've read anything about him, like mm. his big thing was, it's all in your mind. And so it goes, okay, Napoleon, well, if it's all in my mind that I will never be a speaker because of my health, how do I change that? And he goes, well, then stop worrying about your health. Worry about your message. And you're like, well, duh. Like, <laughs> and so he's not alive. He don't know me. Uh, but that was kind of the message he gave. And so it's just, you start to mess with these things. And the first time it's awkward, I'm not even for some of the listeners who are like, okay, tuning out now. Uh, yeah, the first few times it's going to be weird. But the more you get used to that intuitive guide, the universe does weird things, man. <laughs> yeah, what great advice. What great advice. I'm just trying to think who I would have on my board that uh... – I don't know. First person that comes to mind is John Lennon, but he's too much of a dreamer, but I, I still need that. And then I guess Winston Churchill, which was very strange. By the way, they're both English. Yeah. I just realized well, that's kind of odd. Um, hmm, what does that mean? Enough of that. So what would John, okay. So this is fine. What would John Lennon tell you though? So what advice would you be like, all right, John, help me out. I would, I would imagine that John would be very much, uh, very much, you know, listen to your heart you know, listen to what's good, listen to what's good for others. Doesn't really matter any, anything else. I would, I would think he's a bit more, uh, from everything, you know, plus the Beatles documentary is out. We got a, you know, big and much bigger insight on him. So I would think it would be a lot, very much listen to your, listen to your soul. Do you get that feeling? Yeah. And as, as you sit there and the problem that you might be facing, uh, if that resonates with you when you start talking to John, yeah. you're like, it's going to click. It's weird, right? Because you even feel it a little bit like you're touching your heart. You're like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I need to listen to my heart more. <laughs> it's a beautiful process. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Whereas Winston Churchill would be bit would be more strategic and a bit more um, cold, perhaps the opposite, you know, where he would be sarcastic and sharp and um uh, pragmatic. Yeah. Which is also important and certainly in business. Very interesting. Napoleon Hill, Winston Churchill, and John Lennon were go to a bar together. Walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Kaylin and Joe were there say, having a discussion <laughs> and ask them the following. <laughs> Yeah, very. And you know what? Brilliance will come. <laughs> I wonder. Somebody needs to document that. that. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, one of your workshops, How to Live When You're Expected to Die. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I love what I teach, man. Like, I cannot believe I am this blessed to be able to. I've done it actually from the hospital in November. I gave it to a corporation um, through Zoom and it was like in the hospital, the IVs are going off and I'm like, nope, I still got three hours on the clock. Let's go. Like the nurse is infusing the port on the side. Um, How to Live When You're Expected to Die is a very emotional corporate workshop. It's for associations. It's for, I do a lot of um, EO and Vistage events with it too, um, some YPO and Really, the concept is what lessons did those who are terminal have to share with us 
because we, as it's, I'm going to put my business owner hat on as a business owner, I have no idea how spoiled I am. Right. Hmm. Like people come to me. I don't have to go to them. Um, I make a great living one that five years ago when I was on social security, I could only dream of. And I started finding out that the more I started hanging out with people who have assets over a million or 5 million or 10 million, depending on the organization, they don't even know how lucky they have it. Like, I'm not saying that business owners aren't stressed out because like, man, some of the stress is insane. And the great resignation happens with COVID and you watch your employees get burnt out and they quit. And a lot of them don't know how to deal with their own mental health. But growing up inside hospitals, I didn't hear that stress from patients, like ever. Uh, I, I heard there was a girl who literally, and I won't go into all the gore and the details, but she was basically left to die and her house was set on fire by a bitter lover. And God. when I met her, she was just like so happy and content. And like most of her body was lost to the flames. And you never heard, oh, this is happening to me. I'm so stressed. Like, why don't these people do what I want? Like, it was just such a weird shift to like hang out in the business community after hanging out with my terminal friends and noticing one subset is happy with nothing. And another subset, like I'm on a yacht and they have something to complain about. Like what in the world is this disconnect? And so how to live when you're expected to die is designed as a stress reduction, anxiety reduction tool for employers to use to remind their staff, it's not that bad, y'all. It's not that bad. And it's a labor of love for me. There's jarring images. It gets super emotional. You will cry. Um, I have yet to have somebody leave that seminar not experiencing deep, profound emotion. And many times we're told to mask our emotions. So it's a yeah. comforting thing to finally let it out. Uh, and it's, it's powerful, man. It's so powerful. And how do you... How do you get yourself to a point where you can talk about that on demand? I know I, I, I'm, I'm sure you don't get asked the morning of you, you're prepared, but I mean, what if you're having, you know, a really good day or a really bad day and you have to kind of give this and uh, it, take me through that. Yeah. I mean, we all can change our state on a dime. It's just how often do we do it? Right. If I were to tell you right now to close your eyes and imagine a time where you were completely happy mm. and a time where you're surrounded by those you love and things were just perfect. You heard sounds that make you smile, maybe reminded you of your childhood. Immediately, your energy in just that 10 seconds shifted. Mm. Now, if I were to tell you, tell me about a time where an employee pissed you off or Zencaster's link didn't work correctly and you really wanted to talk to this person you know, or go back in your mind to that vision of when your car broke down and you thought you were going to get hit by a semi on the side of the road, like your stress response will happen. So it just comes down to the ability to be aware of what your mind is telling you and how to respond in the moment to that state change. And I mean, these are simple tools. We just have to, number one, know about them. And number two, practice them to the point where they become automatic. How, what a pragmatic answer. Very nice. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, just kind of shifting. It's true. Yeah. I mean, you channeled Churchill, so let's go. <laughs> That's, what say. That's what he would say. Just move on. Yeah, exactly right. There was an author 
I forget his name, uh, who, who had pancreatic cancer and he like, gave a speech for the last like nine months of his life. Uh, Shab, um, I forget his name. Randy Pausch. Randy Pausch is his name. And, uh, I, one of the, it was incredible, uh, what he did. And one of the life lessons that I still teach to my daughters is, uh, just don't watch what people say, watch what they do. They could say anything, but really watch what they do. That's the bigger lesson to learn. And I hear somebody who decided to spend the last days of his life, you know, giving some of the life lessons that he's learned. Completely admirable. You're, you're aware of this person. Yeah, I actually put uh, some of his concepts. It's part of the workshop. So his name was Randy Pausch, and he wrote a book called The Last Lecture. And what fascinated me about him was towards the end, all his family wanted was for him to be more present at home. And instead he went on the road to give these lectures and he did it just so that way when his daughters were old enough to recognize his contribution to the world, they could rewatch the lectures and very inspiring man. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's concepts like that that are in this workshop because you know, what was, who was he right outside of, he didn't, he was a professor. Like he, he didn't have ambitions to, be a trainer and travel the world, you know, but then when life happened, he noticed, Hey, this is a message that people need. And I am uniquely positioned to deliver it right now. And he did it for his daughters and it was, it was a beautiful, he's a beautiful soul. Yes. Huge fan. Yeah, absolutely. Kaylin, what are, what are the, some, what are some of the common mistakes small businesses make when it comes to sales? So I'm in the technology world a lot of the companies that I that I that I'm peers with that know are mostly technology led, so they don't know a lot about sales. I think sales and marketing is the same thing. What should they know about sales? It's so funny. So I taught this morning on this. <laughs> right. um, so it's interesting. Yeah. So uh, it's actually for a digital marketing company. I can't say their name. Um, good team. Good team. And. We were on the sales call and one of the guys is an older gentleman and we were just talking about how do you create better relationships with prospects? And he was like, well, can I quote Sandler? You know, like little chest puffing, like I took a Sandler seminar and like, who are you, you 30 something, right? And I was like, cool. And I was like, how many times did you take it? Oh, dozens. And everybody I know has taken Sandler. And so he has to like get his, his feelings of accomplishment out. And I go, but the problem with what you're saying, kind friend, is everybody's taken Sandler. So everybody knows those tricks. So there isn't a competitive analysis. There isn't a marketing differentiator. If you've known Sandler and your friends know Sandler and your prospects have gone through Sandler, it's now just common knowledge. So there's nothing different there. Hmm. So what I always tell people when we're thinking about the sales process in general is, If you've read a book on sales that was 15 years ago, that was very popular, I need you to read some of the stuff coming out now, at the very least, because that's where innovation happens. And the biggest thing that I'm noticing in the the trends is approaching it as a buddy and as an educator and getting rid of the vernacular entirely of sales. It has a stigma. Let's just own Mm. that. What if we educate our customers about what's possible and then ultimately say, you know, it's either up to you. I could sell this to you or I could not. Um, If I think it's going to be a fit, 
I'll talk to you about price. If I don't think it's going to be a fit, I'm going to hook you up with my competitor because you at the very end of the day have the knowledge and the tools to make your own business decisions. I'm just going to educate you along the process. And you take out some of that emotional charge. And I think really that's where a lot of companies struggle lately is we're so used to doing things how we did that we forget sales is sales, whether we're getting tacos together or we decide to do a podcast together or we sell a $10,000 digital marketing contract. It's educating and then ultimately let them decide, but lead them to where that decision is. And, and changing the name to business development and to, you know, these kinds of, uh, different names really doesn't make a difference in the end. That's very interesting. You're educating. And then if they're not a fit, you're releasing them to a competitor. So you're saying become a buddy with a competitor and say, we'll give you some that don't fit our, our, our scope. Yeah. And ask them if they have an affiliate or a referral fee. Huh? Very interesting. It's a very interesting approach. I mean, I do it with speakers all the time. Uh, if there's 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 an amazing speaker, I, I honestly, if you're looking at one um, to come into your workshops, he's better than I am all day long. His name is Dan Miller, a uh, huge friend of mine. He's probably my biggest competitor and him and I now work together and it's like, hey, if I'm a fit for you, cool. I'd love to come into your, co your company association, but if I'm not, for whatever reason, maybe, I don't know whatever reason, um, I want you to go to Dan. Like, I trust him. Because I get a be, cut, he gets a cut, huh. everybody's happy. <laughs> That's very interesting because it shows concern. So you're moving the transaction, the deal from transactional to kind of relationship. I mean, there are, that, that's very interesting. I think that falls behind on a lot of business owners who just kind of want to make a quick deal, but they're not really developing the relationship. And all sales is, is relationships, isn't it? Hmm. You tell me, is it? <laughs> I mean, I, I think it is. I think if it's done right, it is. And I think, you know, just because it's transactional, what's transactional? Ordering something off Amazon, right? right. Okay. In that situation, if there's not another human involved, I'm not going to educate except, oh, but when I look at the ad, I'm going to be educated. So that falls hollow. And then it's like, oh, there's no relationship. It's a transaction. Okay. It's not technically selling then. It's buying. Mm. <laughs> so where's the problem <laughs> and how can we what's the best way to compensate sales I think it depends on what you're selling uh, everybody has different theories but I can tell you inbound outbound territory account execs um, for the most part I've always been a fan if your business is super complicated and niche, I've always been a fan of a lower livable base. And I say livable, meaning like your people should be able to enjoy the quality of their lives hmm. um, without stressing because that's how you're going to attract talent. And then a super high uncapped commission. And I want the commission tiered so that the best of the best can qualify for a secondary pay plan where their base gets cut even more so and their commission doubles. And how about marketing? How should they be compensated? Oh, I have no idea about anything related to marketing. <laughs> let's I'll tell you about, when I'm not an expert. Let's talk about that because yeah. there's often division that I find there. I, I find that 
you know, marketing gets resentful of sales because marketing provides the leads, starts the conversation, gets them, you know, what they need, but they're not compensated if sales closes. It sounds like in that situation, you have a marketer who wants to be a salesperson. Mm. So maybe the wrong fit entirely. Uh, there's a really interesting book, No Rules, Rules by Reed Hastings. Not Reed Hastings. I don't know. It might not be Reed Hastings. No Rules, Rules. Go read it. Uh, and they have this entire concept. Creative type fields should be compensated um, at a way where the base is high enough that they enjoy the quality of their life because you can't always put creative people in a box. And so compensating them on what the sales team does. I mean, the person who's making that complaint about marketing is also probably not willing to sell and would hate a career in sales. And then let's say this, let's say they bring in a hundred leads, the salespeople only close 10 of them and her compensations derived on the 10. Well, now she's bitter because they're not doing enough with the leads they were given. So is this a marketing issue or is this a sales issue? And so I don't think marketing's compensation should be tied to sales because it's a totally different piece. But I do think that marketing compensation needs to be high enough to equate for the, the amount of time creative work happens. I also think that when we start talking about marketing compensation, if they truly need a bonus, they should tie the bonus to an objective that the either VP or CEO created that talks about how much they've expanded market share, not what's closed. Mm. But I'm not an expert on marketing at all. <laughs> I often see division between marketing sales and then sales and operation. So I hear marketing say, we're giving sales all these leads. Why aren't they closing? I hear sales saying, we're getting all these leads. They're not good. I hear operations saying sales will sell anything. Then they just throw it over the wall and we can't deliver what they promised. So that it just seems that uh, oftentimes there's these just big, big gaps between these, between these factions and they need to communicate more. I heard a great quote once <laughs> that said, when there is no vision, there is da vision. <laughs> uh, and mm. it's so stupid. But like right now it's clicking for me because, you know, in some of the companies that I go for, I know when there's no vision, there's da. Yeah, um, so dumb, so dumb. Uh, <laughs> we were down to one listener. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was cute. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I won't charge extra for that, right? Um you know, and I think <laughs> that's all I keep thinking of. Like, if your company is that divided, uh, that's a CEO issue. Like, because in a great company and companies where all the employers, employees are committed and engaged and, you know, dare I say, happy. That's not that big of an issue. Like, and I don't mean to sugarcoat everything. We're like, nothing's bad in the world. Like, that's not me as a person. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk crap more than anybody, but you know, does the sales manager go to happy hour with the marketing manager, with the admin, with the cancellations department, with the VP? Like, are the managers getting together and talking? Because again, let's go back to relationships. If I got a good relationship with marketing and my salespeople aren't closing, well, hey, marketing, can you create an email drip that says, here's the five reasons that we're losing the most customers? These are the objections. 
let's put a little toggle in Salesforce that says, hey, this, uh, this customer did buy because of price. Cool. What marketing can you create that's on a drip campaign to work on pricing or specials so we can retain these customers and send them back? Like that should be a conversation. And it's like, oh, well, now it got thrown over and the sales team projected something they didn't implement. No, the sales manager didn't come up with the framework to let the people succeed in sales. And then they're letting crap sell on the team uh, rather than, you know, write somebody up for lying to your customers, like write up or dare I say fire. Well, we don't have the staff. Cool. Then make better relationships with your recruiting department. So you've got a virtual bench. Like that's a leadership issue, not an employee issue. Hmm. I think I got very passionate there. <laughs> I love it. You were arguing with yourself. I, I love mean. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is what I see. And the, the answer seems very simple. And you said it, it's leadership. It's just better leadership. And that you have yeah. to lower the walls between these, these, uh, duh visions. Right. Uh, and, uh, just <laughs> make it more transparent because in the end, if the company does better, everybody does better. Yeah. Why are we making this so hard? Like, hey, get your leaders in a room, have them hang out, get to know who they are as people. Once you know who somebody is as a person, it's really hard to fight with them. Right. Yeah. Once you look at them in the eye. Yeah. 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 Ta-da. We did it. High five. <laughs> and move on. Yeah. So... In the podcast, I talk a lot about, I don't really talk a lot, but the common thread is discipline. I lost a lot of weight. People ask me how, like I have some big secret or something. The, the simple answer is discipline. I've had a business for a long time. Uh, and I, while I don't think I am the most disciplined person in everything, I certainly am in some areas. How does it play or does it play a role in your life, Kaylin? Yeah. That's all it is, right? So Chet Holmes said it best in his book, The Ultimate Sales Machine, uh, pig-headed discipline. That's what gets results. Huh. And we can like that or hate it. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever read Chet Holmes's stuff, but like he was the late Chet Holmes. Uh, honestly, he changed my life in so many ways. He was one of my board of directors. I was going to say. Um, I've read his book more than any other book I've ever read Uh Anyway, so basically, but for me, it's all about planning. I make plans to make plans. <laughs> uh, I am obsessive. I have, for those of who, who might have heard my name before, I've, I, I'm addicted to, well, I'll just show you because why not? This is a visual show too. I'm addicted to a pink planner with three uh, bookmarks. And then I have probably 200 gel pens, all different colors and stickers. It's my thing and everything's color coded and I just have to make it colorful and I have to make it engaging for me. So a lot of the women I'll coach, um, guys typically don't get that. Uh, they don't care what color things are. They usually just want it quick and done. Um, but like, it's fun to put stickers and I mean, here's my Valentine's day planner, you know? So like you make it a piece of art. So you enjoy the creative process of planning. And then there is something there's literally endorphins released in your body when you get to check things off lists. Uh, I mean, countless studies about neuroscience on and how things work in your brain when something's visually and aesthetically pleasing and simple. Uh, so you just really set your brain up for success. And then you it's up to you. If you write it down, it becomes law. You have to do it. So I'm huge discipline's my thing. 
Uh, I've got three gel <laughs> pens in front of me. Black, blue, yeah. and red. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's it. Congratulations. I only, do, I only do three colors, but still, you're right. If I memorize things based on their shape. And it's it's funny how, uh, yeah, you, you – I'm gonna look at I'm gonna look at Chet Holmes. By the way, I can't wait to take a look uh, at um, your one of your uh, board of members. Uh, but uh, discipline comes to planning with you. That's it. That's an interesting take. Um, what is the what, what was the one football coach? If you you know fail to plan, you plan to fail. But uh, it, it's everything is a two. It was uh, Herm Edwards from the New York Jets. But um, everything you write down everything. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you write down everything like thoughts come to your mind. Do you write it down? Oh, that's question. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I really do. So I have, I, I take a lot of advantage of the notes application in my iPhone. So if I'm listening to somebody and they say something that I wish I remember, or maybe I could incorporate it into some of my workshops. Mm. Um, I have an entire notepad of the greatest quotes I've ever heard. I have one for when I go to church or when I listen to uh, sermons online, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that's really cool, uh, you know, from Christian based business books, because we all read the same business books, but what are some ways that the churches have grown? And, And I think that getting ideas from people outside of who you would typically think of as influencers helps. So I have an entire notepad of things I learned from church. Actually, it's right here. Uh, and just like interesting tidbits of advice on either scalability or, you know, the inspirational stuff you need, you know, stuff from Randy Pausch. And then this is the to-do list. And it's also organized through my computer. So my Outlook app has changed my life. And then at the end of it, like I even have an entire list of like books I want to read. And I create at the beginning of every year, and you can cut me off when you've fallen asleep, but at the beginning of every year, I create what's called an MVP which is my master vision plan. And I break down every section of my life, whether that's personal health, books I want to read, cities I want to speak in, et cetera. And then I set it up on quarterly goals to achieve that. It's no different than traction in EOS. It's just, it's for myself. And I think far too long, we're so busy building a real resume that we forget our life resumes. Hmm. And then it just becomes discipline. I set the goal. I meditated on it for weeks. Now I just got to do the thing that I trust myself to do. Do you I meditate really every day? About planning. Good for you. It's not nerdy. No, it's structured and formalized. It's wonderful. Not many, not many things fall through the cracks. I'm sure. You know, and if it does, it's okay to be human, yeah. right? Like the beauty of being human is to enjoy our lives. So I don't live and die by my planner. Uh, I mean, there's stuff I've been trying to return like five things to UPS from Amazon for like three weeks. You know, like. I had it written down, <laughs> but I'm human. And maybe I just don't feel like it one day and that's okay. Um, do I meditate every day? Yeah. I think meditate has a bad word because like you're sit- you're supposed to sit and say ohm a bunch of times, right? Until you have some mind blowing experience. But I, you know, when you're washing dishes, it's just a chance to be more mindful and to notice the thoughts and the patterns you're having. So meditation in various forms, we all do every day. We're just not consciously aware of what that means. I notice a trend between the high achievers and certainly meditation or time off the grid is uh, is one of the key metrics I find. 
Yeah. And it's interesting. So Mark Benioff, uh, the, the founder, CEO of Salesforce, he actually said that the biggest thing he did to create Salesforce, the company we know today, yeah. is meditation. So much so that he incorporated that into his offices for his employees. And it became like a standard cultural thing to meditate or practice mindfulness throughout the day. Yeah, I find that if I take two minutes aside and just kind of, you know, close my eyes and shut the laptop down, you know, and turn the phone off, uh, you know, uh, I could just kind of uh, clear my head a bit. And uh, yeah, I don't uh, do the ohm or the okay sign or whatever it is on your fingers, but uh, just kind of be with yourself and, and it really, really helps. Kaylin, what motivates you? Yeah. Um, I know, here's the thing. I know I'm supposed to say my family. That's where that question always gets tricky. Um, do you know, and you might not, but how many people said that all I should live for is to be a patient? And it's that thought, I actually have it, this is, um, a blind. So behind it is a token. Um, hold on. This makes sense. Um, I've, I've never shared this with anybody. So this is, this is a U exclusive. I am scared out of my mind how many people are trapped in a system but have something heavy in their hearts that they want to pursue, but they've been told they can't. So yes, my family motivates me to a point, but what really motivates me is the disabled around the world. And this is my little patron saint of the disabled token. Um, and I actually got this at a church in Sedona. And it's just the thought that there's people out there who want to achieve something, but they don't have a role model who said, you can do that thing you want regardless of your life situation. Um, and there are several role models out there. I'm not at all trying to say I'm that person, but I didn't have someone to look up to who had cystic fibrosis, who lived and created the kinds of things I wanted to create. There's a beautiful soul, um, rest, may she rest in peace, um, but Claire Wineland. And I mean, she was living her best life on the transplant list and I always was a little scared too, because if I followed in that footsteps, I, I would have passed and I know it because my prognosis isn't the greatest, but it's thinking about all those people who want to achieve something outside of their health, but they just haven't heard of someone that was able to, if that makes sense. And it's a very deep question when you ask what motivates me, but it was literally watching hospital rooms full of patients just die inside before their body gave out because they didn't think there was hope. So it motivates you to help those? Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's interesting. So there's this concept, one of my friends, and I'm so sorry, this is super long-winded. Um, one of my dear friends, she's an attorney out of Atlanta. Her name's Ashley Pepitoni, Pepitoni Law. And she, shameless plug, and you'll know why in a second. She and I were chatting about this. And it's not that like I'm going into hospitals to motivate these, these people because you're allowed to be sick. You're allowed to want recovery. 
And in one of my conversations with her, you know, she brought up the concept of women and making income, right? And so many times, and this all ties back to even what we talked about with sales, about how if women only charged more for their services, if they're independent, right, or if they want to raise or they want a promotion, it's not that they got more money. It's that they could do more with that money Mm. and they could have a larger reach. And if you have a larger reach, what's possible? And I realized, you know, it wasn't too long ago, but when I got off the system, I realized that the biggest reach I have and the biggest way I can help people understand that their situation is not their destination is by growing my business and succeeding enough in the marketplace that like you knew who I was and that the reach was enough to provide hope. So I think, you know, and, and even when you go to spend some time in church, you know, the big thing is like there's leaders in every section, whether that's the marketplace, whether that's um, in, in delivering the message, right? And my system for motivating those who can't help themselves was to succeed enough in business so that way we could have a reach. I don't know if that makes sense because it's a thought I haven't ever articulated or shared through any medium. It's a very private Kalen moment. Um, but yeah, I, I find that incredibly motivating to know that like maybe my message got so big that somebody's parents who were leaving the hospital and they just found out that their daughter had cystic fibrosis could Google what to do when your daughter is diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and my name would come up mm. and I could be a resource. But I couldn't do that if I went into the hospitals. I had to succeed in the marketplace for that. And ran. <laughs> and did you – was that the motivation for you to do everything or is that just a, si- a great side benefit? The fact that I'm confused about the question tells me it's the actual motivation, not a side benefit. Hmm. Yeah, because like I don't even understand what the side benefit is of that question. Good point. Uh, and you're an incredible interviewer, so like I've understood everything you've said so far. But I think, honestly, the motivation. I remember there was a time, gosh, like six months ago, and somebody's kid literally just got diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, and my name came up, and they on Google, and the family reached out, and they were like, "What do we do?" Because you don't understand, like when your kid is given a death sentence, mm. you've got children, like how hard will you fight for your child? Right. Like you'll do anything it takes, right? And to know that like they found me online and they said, what do we do? Because we don't want our kid to be born with the thought that the only reason this kid is being born is to later die. Mm. Like what do we do in that midtime? And that's not a side benefit that that happened. That was literally why I give workshops in the hospital because somewhere there's a parent or a patient who's like, what the heck do I do? I wasn't born to die. And that's the person that it's like, come sit by me. Let's hang out. Let's figure this out. What a great answer to, <laughs> to a poorly worded question. Yes. That, that, no. That's wonderful. And, and how do you measure success? So there's this thing called your unconscious core values. And I studied this uh, in NLP. And for me, I have my five unconscious core values. 
And success for me is getting to live all five. And I can tell you what a couple of them are. And actually, they're on a sticky note on my desk. Um, but it's autonomy. I want to say what I want when I want to say it, however I want to say it, however much I want to charge for it, um, with the people that I want to be in the room. Uh, and that's the biggest definition is I get to run my own show, right? Uh, the second one for me is influence. How many people are am I influencing and impacting? The third one is travel, uh, which very convenient for a speaker. <laughs> uh, one is obviously going to be money. Uh, you need money in the top five if you want to be successful and succeed in the marketplace. Uh, and the other two are personal. But I measure success by how much of those five unconscious core values I can have every single day. Now, forgive me, how can... How can you know what they are if they're unconscious? Explain. Yeah, so it's a process, uh, and you can study it through NLP. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out, just let me know, and I can run you through them. Um, but it's actually like a nine-step question, and really what you do is you put yourself in a meditative state. So if I was to do it with you um, on this call, I would basically say, you know, inhale through your nose uh, for a count of five, exhale through your mouth, making an audible ha sound for a count of six, and keep doing that. Put your shoulders down and back. Create a pea-sized shape between your top and your lower jaw. And then I'm going to go back in your memory bank and ask you questions about when did you feel completely motivated? And what was the emotion you felt before you were completely and totally motivated? Okay. And then I'm going to do that 10 to 15 times and get a bunch of words. And then I'm going to ask you which word is more important in that exact direction until you've got a list of five because you're going to realize that you're going to start to say words that all kind of jarble together. And I'll ask you eventually, hey, is there something in this list that if this wasn't present, you still wouldn't be motivated and happy? And you're going to say, oh, yeah, my family. Awesome. So now we know family is one of your core. And so it's about it's a 30 minute process. Um, yeah, can't do it to yourself. It kind of it gets for those who want to Google it. Um, it's always good to have a buddy. <laughs> um, but finding those out for me was an incredibly powerful performance because I, I did the thing where you get somebody from ADP to come in and they sit down and they're like, okay, what's your mission statement, your core values? Mm, and then for like mm. five days, you're then throwing up a bunch of buzzwords on a chalkboard. Um, but when you really find out like how you operate based on your past experiences and what motivates you forward, it shifted for me. And then that becomes your guiding light, right? That becomes, okay, if, if I know autonomy is my number one, you think I'm going to work for anybody else? Like, nope. <laughs> you think I'm going to like let somebody give me a script and that's what I have to perform on? Nope. So like decision-making becomes very easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I started my business out of college in the nineties. So, you know, 30 years and I'm virtually unemployable at this point, but um, a realization that I've come yeah. to kind of recently, you mentioned, so natural language, NLP, and of course, hypnosis you you've kind of alluded to that you've spent some uh, time but you got great content by the way on, on youtube and on online so just talk a little bit expand on that a little bit more about how that can help people please yeah so that's part of the the 12 keys to mindful leadership actually i encourage every single person what do you whatever you think of nlp or not um go to a workshop um if, if you're struggling to afford it, reach out to me. I've got affiliate codes. Um, I don't actually get compensated on them, but they give you discounts to the people that trained me. I got my master's prac in it uh, with an emphasis in hypnosis. And I think every single person on this planet needs to understand their brains better. 
And for me, that's what itch that scratched is I wasn't aware of how to think of converse. Like, it's interesting. You asked earlier, how often do you meditate, mm -hmm. right? Every day, all day, like, <laughs> because I've studied NLP. So this entire conversation has been a part of NLP training, right? And the ability to reset when you're angry has been incredibly powerful. I'm, I'm pretty fiery. And, you know, my fiance and I took all the classes together, but like, it's one of those things where you don't know how many benefits there are and how it would help you until you've gotten through it. It's a, it's a weird thing to try to explain. Hmm. Um, so I'm botching that question too. But I would say if any part of you has been curious, trust that part of your subconscious to follow that curiosity. Because I don't know what you're going to get out of it, but I know you're not going to get out of it the same way you came into it. Always heard about it. You've piqued my interest. I've I've, I've been fortunate to speak uh, to a decent amount of people who uh, practice hypnosis, but never um, NLP. It's very interesting. I'm going to, going to look into that. Uh, Kaylin, thank you so much for your time today. My goodness, I mean, um, you're inspiring. You are absolutely inspiring. Mm -hmm. I I enjoy watching. I enjoy listening, um, and the way you've turned things around when professionals told you not to. And um, it, it absolutely is inspiring. And uh, I, 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 I hope others uh, learn from it. I hope others can feel your energy and feel your strength and be able to, to move in a positive direction in their life. Thank you so much. How can we get in touch with you? Please let us know. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but please let us know right now. Yeah, I mean, my website's number one, uh, www.missklyn.com. But thank you. Yeah, everything really, really goes off from there. And uh, your books, your um, you have a podcast. Uh, I was listening to a little bit of that. Um, and it uh, looks like you put it on hold for a little while. Yeah, I found it was more fun for me to be a guest on others uh, than to run my own. I mean, what you do is a tough, tough thing. Um, I'll fire it up every couple of months. And then I just, I, you know, doesn't fit my core values, man. <laughs> I tried. Um, I'm grateful for all the listeners. We were able to get more downloads than I ever expected. But ultimately, that's, that's just, it's not for me. Hmm. Yeah. Here's my problem, Kaylin. I don't know if it's a problem or not, but I have more questions than answers. So I, um, I find it easier to ask than to, to answer. But I, I thank you so much for your time. And uh, I, I hope one day, perhaps you, your fiance, my girlfriend, myself, we have a cup of coffee. If we ever meet face to face, I would really enjoy that. And uh, please continue what you're doing. And I, I hope we get to see each other sometime in the future. Absolutely. Sounds like a great plan. You be well. Take care. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you'll find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook podcast information the video version of our podcast is on youtube please subscribe audio is on all major podcasting platforms please follow them and if you like it please consider 
giving five star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, you be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversation.